Hey, Changemakers, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrillow, and I have another great guest lined up for you today. Now, this podcast, as you know, is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change as a force for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, personal, professional, and social transformation. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we'll be diving deeply into topics at the intersection. Sometimes we'll be interviewing thought leaders, and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. But before I introduce today's guests, I want to ask a favor. It's not going to take a minute and it would make a huge difference to us. Would you please go to iTunes or whatever app you're listening to and subscribe and leave a rating and review. It helps us share our message of inspirational change with as many people as we can and it helps our guests get their messages out to more people. Thank you. So our guest on the podcast this week is my good friend, Dorothy Saminovich, PhD and Master Certified Coach. And I have to tell you, she is one of the best coaches I know. Dorothy is an international coach, consultant, speaker, and author. She is founder of the ICF-approved Gestalt Coaching Program Istanbul and serves as director of training and faculty. Dorothy specializes in coaching for signature presence, leadership peak performance, overcoming derailment, and working with high-performance leaders, groups, and teams. Her book, A Gestalt Coaching Primer, The Path Towards Awareness IQ, is a core text for practice coaches and novices alike. So welcome, Dorothy. Thank you, Jane. Oh, you know, <laughs> we've We've known each other now, haven't we, for about a decade, I think. And you do such powerful work, Dorothy, that I'm really looking forward to sharing you with the Sacred Changemakers tribe. But before my I honor, do... <laughs> my honour, really. Thank you. But before I do, I'd love you to share just something. I mean, our listeners have heard your professional bio there, but I'd love them to get a sense of the real-life human behind that bio who is she? Well, Jane, I, I love that you're asking that. And of course, you know, it used to be like an old commercial, I think, for hair products. And the person used to say, I'm not just a hair product um, salesperson, I'm a user also. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think, you know, uh, listening to you talk about uh, what I have accomplished, all I can think of is saying is, I remember each step of the way asking myself, can I do this? Will I do this? And the human journey of behind all of those um, outcomes that look so shiny. And I, I really think that the most revealing thing that I can say about myself is when I look at people I work with, I always see a younger version of myself in everyone's story. And I, I, I really say to myself, my work was a beginning of the work that I could do with other people. So I feel that in coaching and in doing what I know I share with you, it's the work of my life that I end up feeling I've been blessed to bring into some kind of professional uh, umbrella to be able to offer to others. 
You know, I mean, an engineer talks about building, a doctor talks about protocols. As a coach, I talk about human beings, and sometimes I even share my uh, stories, and um, what an honor that is for me, including today. So I, I can tell people I'm originally from Montreal. Um, the important reason I say that is it allows me to, to really say that I speak a few languages, no longer, <laughs> you know, all that well. But if there's anything that I really um, resonate to is people who have done the journey of immigration or the journey of becoming when they weren't uh, born into uh, opportunity or affluence. The journey of having to become is part of my story and probably why I do the work that I do. Because I remember having to become and it guides me into really inviting people to come on their becoming. I love how you describe that, Dorothy, because you know, that, that becoming process, I think, is, is, yes. is probably unique to us, you know, as humans on this planet. And, I, you know, I'd love to get a sense of, you know, your intentionality around that. You know, in this process of becoming that you're describing yourself in, I just wonder, you know, are you where you expected to be when you look at your life today? <laughs> Well, you know, Jane, that's such a wonderful question. If you, you ask that when someone who's in their 30s, <laughs> they still have to become. Yeah. But I've re already reached 60, and I think to myself, did I do the things that I want to do? And what's my next, you know, last third of my life? Um, and I can say to you, Jane, I'm actually quite shocked that I achieved more <laughs> than anyone <laughs> Ever thought I could be. I think that there was some kind of bias in my day around women and women who were kind of more fashion forward. I, I'm known for, oh, shall I get dressed? I'm known for that. And yet, can we look like a highly feminized professional and still have rigorous thinking? Um, some years ago, I saw the wonderful story of Alan Turing, uh, the father of the computer who was known for cracking the Enigma code in World War II to really help deliver Britain from, you know, uh, devastation. And he is credited with saving 14 million lives in London, in England during mm -hmm. the war, and not to mention all over the world by breaking that kind of siege. Um, and one of the things that Alan Turing so brilliantly said is, for the people that no one imagines much of, they do the things that no one can imagine. And I have to say that, you know, when I go back to my early days in Montreal or when I visit people or even now when people hear about me who knew me when, it's almost shocking that I went on to get a PhD, that I, that I created, you know, this MCC in, in Gestalt coaching. You know, so many people mm -hmm. say Gestalt coaching, you can't, you can't have certification around this kind of um, idiopathic, no one has authority over my experience. So for me to have developed these kind of uh, levels of authority when I didn't even know what authority looked like, <laughs> it's just astounding to me. <laughs> and now I say to people, yeah, I say to people, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Whatever you can do it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
I love that. And I love that about you. You certainly have quite a, you know, we've known each other for a decade, as I mentioned, but, you know, every time I see you, you have this almost elegant personal style about you, Dorothy, you know, as well as, as the amazing, profound work that you do. And I love our title that we've, we've kind of uh, chosen for today. Life as a contact sport, use of awareness, intelligence. So tell me about that. Why is this an important topic for you? Well, Jane, you know, first of all, I, I think all the listeners will, will know that you have such a lovely way of speaking. I'm just listening to you that, <laughs> okay, now I have to talk and say this. So first of all, I'm just aware of your speaking and how much I always love listening to you. And it's just, it's just what I'm, that's what I'm aware of now. So just to everybody listening, I think what are we aware of is just a fact of life. I mean, every day we, we, we get up and and um, awareness is embedded in how we go organizing ourselves. What do I need to do now? Well, I have to get dressed and maybe I have to eat something. So what am I aware of the choices? And then what's my awareness of what I... This is something that we do all the time. But the really interesting thing about awareness, and this is where I just will give a little, uh, you know, a, a shout out to Gestalt theory is what Gestalt theory did like a hundred years ago, really, or actually less than that, it's from the work of the originator, Fritz Perl, basically said that we don't see the world the way it is. We see it the way we are. So if something is important to you, or if you need something, or if you want something, you're going to look at the world trying to become aware of where is, if I'm thirsty, I'm going to be trying to become aware of where is there water. If I'm hungry, I'm going to be, where can I go to get some food? If I need to get someone uh, to help me with uh, my computer, I need computer paper. I'm going to start looking, where do I need to get, you know, a, a bundle of computer paper? I am going to look to satisfy my need. Or if I'm needing innovation, uh, it could be now there's a huge press for innovation. I'm going to be looking for what's different in energizing that catches my attention. So the thing about awareness that has been with me for years now, but even now has taken on a new level of, I think, crispness is in an ever-changing world, which our world is now radical. In fact, we were all talking VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, mm. and ambiguity. But now, with the pandemic over it, it's like everything is upside down. We know that nothing has the same kind of horizontal kind of predictability. And where we're guided every day, all of us is, what are we aware of? What can we act on? What do we have to be more adaptive to? Because even from yesterday, there might have been a change. So actually awareness now is our, what's called vertical competency. I, I'm guided by the work. I know I've mentioned this too. I love the work of Nick Petrie, who uh, really articulated this at the Center for Creative Leadership. Mm -hmm. But I always say to people, so what are you aware of? And that's the beginning conversation. Because when people start telling me what they're aware of, whether they realize it or not, they're talking about themselves. Mm -hmm. Because what I'm aware of may not be the same thing as what you're aware of, or the third person's aware of. And so we begin to understand that what we're aware of says something about us, says something about our patterns, says something about what works for us. And here's the interesting thing. 
may also say something about what we need to undo because we're doing something an old way. And are we really, if we're talking about awareness, are we really using the data of the moment? So awareness is the data of the moment plus what I know, plus also how adaptive can I be to using the data of the moment? Mm. That's a mouthful, Jane, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> and the last thing I say, just to get that question that you answer is, uh, and in particular, I want to give a shout out, Jane, to my work in Istanbul, because they made mm. all of my Turkish uh, world um, rigorously would be demanding so many questions that I, I became a better thinker because I started trying to teach um, with less words in English. And what I became aware of is that I, I became more attentive to saying less, but having a bigger impact. And so what I really understood as is what we are aware of that we feel is important. If we don't take action on it, later on, we will have regret. Hmm. And that actually is what I found myself always thinking about for a few years, because when I'd say that to people, they'd say, I know, what stopped me from telling some, something nice to someone? Or what stopped me from saying I don't agree? Or what stopped me from saying no? Because if we don't do those things when we want to do them in the moment, we have forsaken our awareness. And later on we say, oh, why did I fail? And that's where I started getting interested in how do we use our, regret, our, our awareness? And also, how do we use our failure for new learning? You know, we talk a lot about failure, but really we have to understand how to use failure. Because we say, no failure, no learning. If you're not willing to fail, you can't be creative and experiment. So again, awareness is the data of the moment. It's the fuel for innovation. It's the, it's the language of experimentation. Hmm. That's lovely. The fuel for innovation. I've never heard it described quite in that way before. But it's so interesting listening to you talk about it because in some ways our work overlaps a little bit here because for me, you know, in my, in my work on resonance, particularly I, I'm hearing, you know, where our work kind of comes together in a way, because for me with the path towards resonance, awareness is the very first thing. And, and to me in a change process, it's the very first thing because you can't change what you're not aware of kind of thing. And I wondered if it was similar for you or if you position it in a different way. Well, I have to give you a shout out again because, <laughs> <laughs> because of course, you know, I've said this, <laughs> I'm going to say this to all of our, 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 our dear listeners who I just say, we're like you and you're like us. I know this already, but when <laughs> I, I came across your, your work, Jane, I, I remember inviting you to speak on a, you know, a resonance to our mm. students and you were so they resonated to you. And of course, you know, I, I talk, first of all, awareness, if you're not aware of something, in fact, there's a word for that, to not be aware of something is called the Umwelt, oh. which means to not be aware that you're not aware. <laughs> and we, if you know, yeah, there's a special word, of course. If you're not aware of something, what can you do? Nothing. Because awareness is the precursor for choice. Right. So definitely we are resonating um, because I think, 
you know, you are a wisdom person and, and I have, I've always known that and listened to you. But I think what I'd like to say is I had been searching for many years as a seeker about if you're aware, of course, it's connected to this element of how to be present. And if you're using your awareness in the present moment, then the question always comes down to and what's the presence that we bring to the present? So presence actually turns out to be um, a cofactor variable of awareness. You actually cannot be aware if you're not present to the moment. And, it, you know, in the diversity of all of us, you, 10 other people, let's say in the room, each one of us will have a different quality of being present. You know, you, uh, I mean, we could talk about that. But I began interested in what would that look like to really understand the different qualities of being present. And I was influenced by how you built your energetic understanding of the levels of resonance. Mm -hmm. And I was so inspired by that that I created uh, seven dimensions of presence um, inspired by your using the chakras. I thought, well, maybe they could, maybe these chakras are so powerful, they're going to inform how to be present from the multi-dimension gifts of presence. And that's actually how I came up with the, 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 the gifts or the dimensions of presence that all of us have access to, but maybe not all of us have really honed or mm. become aware of. Mm. And I love that. And, uh, you know, and of course, I, I really feel that that connection between awareness and presence. So mm -hmm. let me ask you, when you talk about use of awareness intelligence, yes. is that just another way of saying this is you know, how you become present, how you develop your presence? Is that the same or are there some nuances, some differences? Such a great question, Jane. It's, it's actually it's 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 connected it's not that it's the same it's connected mm -hmm. and it's nuanced mm -hmm. so if 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 all of us we can imagine we're looking at two different circles that are basically on the same level you know to your if you're looking on the circle on your left let's say that's who we are in terms of our our presence how we show up and how we show up is how we stand how we kind of embody kind of this, you know, stance of curiosity, this creativity, how we show up with our um, emotional energy. I call it the willpower, the won't power, the want power energy. That's the solar plexus, stomach energy, gut energy, how we show up with our heart energy, which I know in your model, you call the bridge. And in my model, I call the glue, um, mm -hmm. the, 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 you know, the, the Israeli uh, physicist said that love may be the energy that holds the world, world together. So, you know, heart energy is part of presence. And then, of course, capacity to communicate a word is part of presence, as is the, the sixth dimension intuition. And the seventh dimension is the ability to scan the field. Now, I say all of that because that's just when we show up just by entering a room people feel our energy they feel our presence and unless they really know us they have to ask themselves what's being evoked in me that i can feel that so that's one question and i always say to people we do a workshop on this jane but i always mm -hmm. say to people do you know what you evoke in people because mm -hmm. people 
spend so much energy. What am I going to wear? How am I going to look? It's not even, a, I mean, good not to be naked. Okay. I, I tell people get dressed. It's a good <laughs> idea, but really it's truly about how you're embodying your presence yourself that people pick up cues. But the interesting thing, so, the, so one question is how do we show up and what's the impact we evoke? But, but let's say something happens and we're in a room and, and you and I were just talking about um, grief in the world and emotions, you know, and, and one of the things that I know is there's so much grief in the world right now with the pandemia and loss and the economic thing, all of that. And, and one of the things that I know is two things that I think are important to be able to be uh, supportive around the grief, but also how do we transform through hope? The sense of loss. So this, those are two different figures. And, and here's where it becomes interesting. On the right circle, that circle is called use of self. And, that's, and, that, and that is where intentionality with awareness becomes important. So if I'm noticing that I've just been invited to work with a group of people and many people seem sad, or I've heard that there's a loss, then my use of self is how can I access my compassion and my invitation to talk about the loss, not to ignore it. So I actually access my presence intentionally in relation to a figure that really matters. Or if, I, if, I, if, if, if they've done that for a while and they're just sitting there and then they say, well, this is really good, but I don't know what to do next is uh, maybe what I want to do is be creative with my present, my creativity, my creative presence. And I want to give an invitation is, you know, let's everybody stand and let's just shake off this moment. And just imagine if you couldn't fail, if you could take all of this sadness as fertilizer for the next creative possibility. What's your blue sky imagination of what great things can come out that nobody would have predicted? You know, it's a radical invitation, but the use of self is to invite something that, you know, it takes imagination and you're accessing that in yourself and nobody, it's an invisible, but here's what we know. The capacity to dream has always powered the world. To manifest something new, we have to dream, we have to imagine, we have to be Einstein in our own life. So use of self is where we take action to access our presence. And the things we choose to do that are strengthening, strengthen our presence. And the things that we miss, in some ways, weakens our presence. So if someone says, and I get this, they say, oh, you know, Dorothy's coming and she's going to know what to say. And if I come there and I say nothing, including, you know, sometimes when people say, well, Dorothy, you know what to say. And I'll, I'll stand up and I'll say, you know, I actually don't. And I'd like all of us to pause for a moment because I don't know who does know what to say in this terrible moment. And even that is a way of navigating a difficult moment to show how to handle the unknown. So what we choose to attend to that strengthens the moment is positive awareness, um, intelligence and when we were aware of something that we knew called us that we felt that we could say something or take an action or facilitate a connection between people and we don't we feel that sense of oh I miss the moment 
And we may think about it for days, weeks, even years. But if we learn from it, the next time a similar moment like that comes, we're going to grab it. And that's where learning comes. I love how you're describing this. And something really captured my attention <laughs> when you were talking. And I'm kind of, I think I'm remembering a conversation we've had in the past, but it's when you described like that radical invitation, right? And I have a sense <clears throat> at some point, you and I have had a conversation and I don't remember the details of it, which is why I'm bringing it up now about how we as individuals can show up as a radical invitation to life in some way does that ring any bells for you because <laughs> i'm like i love that that make it's almost like the boundaries of jane as self the internal jane right kind of drops away and i'm almost just part of the flow of life here and that for me feels like a radical invitation and i hear that in what you're speaking to and what you're pointing to when you talk about awareness, intelligence, and presence. Does that make sense? Of course. I mean, it makes sense because this is the answer for, you know, in the complexity of, we don't know where we're going. And yet yeah. more, more now than ever, our authentic humanity is what's inspiring to people. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I mean, of course, um, and I think this is where I've seen many of your, you know how I love your posts, always. <laughs> always. Uh, but, but I've seen you reference the work of Brene Brown on vulnerability and, yeah. and, and, and you know, uh, we, all, we all are inspired by her work. But the interesting thing, by the way, I think about that so often is there's a whole group of people in the world that suffer from perfectionism. I have to do things just perfectly um, because that's what excellence is. And of course we've learned that that's the road to burnout and that, um, you know, perf perfect um, can really actually be uh, a failed opportunity to really see the art of life. But I, I think Jane, what's very clear is, you know, even now it's our brokenness we need to learn how to be adaptive and we need to also learn how to whatever. It's almost like life. If I would take your words, life, I think many years ago, um, the, uh, the CEO of Herman Miller wrote something like uh, life is a contact or the jazz uh, in leadership, leadership as an art, as a jazz art. And, and I think in many ways we need to really feel the rhythm of life in ourselves that we can use to inspire other people. Like if it's sadness, I'm here, I can talk about sadness. Not till I bury you, but enough till I validate you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we need to feel the rhythm of, or I can talk about innovation, um, or I want to, but just to the point of, okay, now where does practicality come? Because if we're just talking about innovation, we're gonna have divergent thinking and we're not going to sign on the dotted line. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, practicality, yeah. I mean, that's where return on investment really seems important to so many people in the workplace. And we need to understand that language. In fact, I, I say that that's a language of business. We can do that. Uh, we can do that and still be human together. But I do think 
this is where vulnerability and authenticity meet. How can we use our human, hum, humanness to really say, well, we go forward. And, and I think I was just telling you, I was coaching this person who so kindly um, agreed to be a client of mine for a coaching conference called Coaching Care. Um, it was like in June. And I, I was really so impressed that he was willing to be a, um, a, an executive client because he's CEO of a bank, banking. I mean, everyone has such a <laughs> bias against banking. And this person, God bless him, he started talking about bottom line figures. <laughs> and he applied, I don't know how many people, 500, 1,000, I have no idea. And they said, no, 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 it's good. But then he changed and he said, in the pandemic, we have to talk about empathy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, he really learned the currency of humanity in the workplace. Yeah. And maybe, Jane, that's the overarching lesson of this terrible time is that we are having a world correction factor phenomenon, like the stock market has a correction. We're having a correction in terms of really coming together to develop more realistic uh, expectations of what really matters ethically, uh, relationally, in business, for the greater environment. Uh, So I do think, yes, following what is really authentic to being in the flow maybe has more information. Hmm. Yeah. Awareness information to really uh, answer your question. Yeah. And, and you're talking now about, you know, where we find ourselves in the world and, you know, and I, as I hear you talk, it just seems as clear as the light of day to me that your work around awareness intelligence is so important, maybe even more important in this time right now. So I just wondered, because you've, you've mentioned, you know, the, the, the pandemic and, and this new currency of empathy in the workplace. And it just makes me wonder about, you know, what is your hope for the world, Dorothy? What's your vision for what matters most as we move forward? Um, it's such an important question, um, for all of us. And I think there's going to be many, many levels, you know, and kind of we have to have um, kind of a map of the new world in many ways is kind of being, you know, how the old map makers made new, you know, maps and what's our new map? A map, very famous saying, a map is not the territory, it's just a guide. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, you know, for the people that uh, do organizations or are consultants, I mean, what is the new way of people working together? Um, because this, this, this COVID business is here for uh, anywhere from two to five years. I, I don't want to be a doomsayer. I'd like to be practical. Uh, I mean, I'm, as you know me, I'm the most unpractical person. My mother used to <laughs> criticize me. My mother had a Russian accent. She said, Dorothy is so unpractical. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, if the vaccine has to be stored at minus 80 Fahrenheit. Oh my God, can you imagine inoculating the whole world? I mean, we're, wow. we're in a huge project right there. So I do think um, the world of work as we know it is undergoing a huge shift. Look at how we're doing uh, Zoom calls. I mean, I'm going to be doing a conference on Sunday and I'm thinking about how to differentiate breakout sessions and so on and, and all these you know, different ways of staying engaged online and human and engaging and funny. And, 
we have to find a way of working that is um, um, desirable, that's effective, that makes things happen. Um, we have to find a way of being able to take care of our people. So for example, let's say the vaccine comes out. Well, you know, clearly doctors and nurses, because they're our frontline people. But you know, the next wave of people we have to take care of are the delivery people, the drivers, the grocery shelf stockers. These people that don't feel that they're paid enough, and yet they're holding our world together. God bless them. We have to be much more attentive to them. Then, of course, you know, I want to talk to the world of women who had to leave work so that they could be home to take care of their kids. There's a real shock going on. Women have, where are we now with caretaking and homeschooling? And what's the new way of, of, of teaching children who maybe there's a new format to that that we have never really seen before. It's something between the way it was and the way it will be and maybe using technology in an innovative way. So we need to actually be very innovative around technology that brings us together, that helps us move forward, that helps us also uh, pay for um, our lives. I mean, you know, people still need to get paid. And I, I remember my mother was still working into her 80s. It was in interesting. She only passed away a few years ago, but she used to say, if I had the computer, I would be successful. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be so much better with technology now in a way that we are plastic, elastic with it. And I, and I definitely think that as we are shifting our world now, Maybe we're not traveling uh, with airplanes and, you know, as we've been doing before, but how is, how is our thinking global? Because, you know, a, a, a bug in Wuhan successfully has been going around the world and doing very well. And if you can't outdo a bug from Wuhan, what's the point? <laughs> oh my gosh. When you put it right? like that, it's like, Oh my gosh, that is so true. <laughs> I mean, seriously, a, a, a little germ from Wuhan has yeah. undone the world. Yeah. And I think it really is a call from all of us. You know, even now, you know, you invited me to this thing and I said, yes, because I knew that talking to you, I'm going to be smarter. We have to talk to each other. We have to cross-pollinate. We have to ask each other for feedback. Does this sound good? Can you, can you bother me so that I'm going to be walking away with more ideas? Can I bother you? Maybe we're not going to be able to uh, have dinner together if we're not in the bubble, but we can call each other. We can send a message to each other. We can refer to each other. We can make business in different ways than we have thought of before. And I would like to call for that. You know, people have just, someone emailed me around looking for a coach, this particular category, and I immediately connected them to a person. And the person just, you know, was so excited. And I said, come on, that's what I can do. I can remember who's who, and I can be generous. We have to be generous with each other. We have to be more validating. You know, the Gottsman Institute people, you know this, Jane, because we talked about it somewhere said that we need five times the amount of positive to one negative. If we can't go shopping, we should give shopping to each other by giving each other more validation. We should not be stingy about this because many people in their silo are feeling alone and we don't have to. 
we can tell people, you know, I really love your work on residents and I use it and I tell people about it. We could be more generous with each other. We could refer more. We could be a spokesperson for other people's work, knowing that they will talk about our work. And yeah. that's how we're, I think, going to evolve together. And I think one more thing, Jane, I think, you know, uh, I put out this post, we don't have to be fearful. Well, we do and we don't. We have to recognize when we're fearful. And then we have to say, how can I get grounded? And who's going to support me? Who can I have a five-minute reality check so I come to my best self? You know, I, I, I always remember, Jane, 2012, when I did that presentation in London, and you were there, and it was so great. I said, oh, Jane, shall I review this with you? And you said, absolutely. That made such a difference. We need... You know, there, there's an idea that we need one other person. This is the old research from Solomon Ash from the 1950s. We need at least one other person to confirm our reality. They don't have to be a coach, but we need a, good, a person of goodness, of care, of kindness to say, yes, I see what you're saying. I understand. That makes all the difference to us if we have a reality check that allows us to go forward in a strong way. These are things that we can do. And the last thing I want to say is, you know, a couple of months ago, I wrote a little tiny little article with Marcia Fiola, lovely woman from Georgetown, on something called the oxytocin checklist. You know, just giving more kindness to each other, giving a validation, um, smiling, or even really asking people just to, you know, you know do, a, do a big check and then just wave at each other. It raises our oxytocin. And that makes us feel better. And that creates a difference in how we go into the world. We need to look at all these things that actually are, are free and knowing we are so much richer than we are aware of. Let's own that wealth. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I just want to say like a yes, yes, yes to everything that you're saying. And, you know, it's kind of, one of the things I became aware of as you were talking there, Dorothy, is with our title, you know, life as a contact sport. Mm -hmm. I'm realizing that in these times right now, we have to get more intentional about Absolutely. the contact and the connections that we create and make. And I don't know that at any other time in my life I've ever been this intentional about connecting in the way that I need to be today. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Well, you know, as existentially, you know, it's like all of us yeah. have had. It's in the Renaissance, in, in pictures from like the 14th century, the 15th century, I guess there used to be this thing that they would put like a skull in the picture. <laughs> they call that the memento mori, a reminder that life is finite. Yeah. And I think that's what this pandemic has done. I mean, it is shocking to know that vibrant people all of a sudden, you know, I look at the New York Times and I always love the New York Times, like addiction, you know, and they do these sections, lost to COVID. It's awful. I look at them. I don't want to look at them, but I realize, you know what? Who would have thought that this person would be taken? These people that were in their 40s or 50s or late 30s, they didn't know that they were going to be saying bye-bye. And I think actually this has made us much more aware of the gift of life, but also the requirement of life. There's a poem, I think it's by Marge Percy, you know, when life, you know, when death catches me, let it catch me uh, alive. 
and, and I actually think that's the reason now I've become so, I'm so sorry for anyone's loss. Really, let's really hold that. And at a certain point, I say to people, and what does that person, how does that person want you to go forward in living? It's a hard question, but it's, if we're not doing that for each other, then we are missing the gift of, of legacy. Now, the people that really love us, real love wants you to continue living. And how do we go forward? How do we learn from this? You know, again, I just was walking down the street to get a Starbucks coffee, I have to admit. And as I was going, I saw the person who is, uh, you know, the shoe repair person. I like him. I've been going to him for 20 years here in Toronto. Lovely guy. He's standing outside the store without a mask. I said, what are you talking about? Where's your mask? <laughs> and I realized, oh, God, that sounded terrible. He started apologizing. <laughs> I said, listen, I, I love you. I want you to be safe. This is not, yeah. I'm not the police. I'm your friend. Yeah. And that's how we have to really be the reminders of, um, how to go forward with each other. I had a meditation master. She has such, so many wonderful gifts. She said, uh, learn to be in good company because your friends will remind you what's important to you. And when you're falling, either through lack of intentionality, they will remind you, this is what you want to be about. And I do think that's what we need. We need to be, you know, they say that a vision is your compelling picture of what you move towards. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have a compelling picture, we'll just go anywhere. And intention is our compelling picture. Mm -hmm. And we need, we need to ask ourselves, this is this identity question, Jane, who am I? What do I want to be about? Is it, I want to be for my children. I want to be for my family. I want to be for my friends. If I'm you know, a leader, what is it I want to be? If I am you know, a worker, what is it that I want to be? You know, there's this old joke that a bricklayer is not a bricklayer if he, if he or she thinks he's doing the work of God. Right. So what is your intentionality is? What is it that guides you every day that you get up? And that's really important. Yeah. It gives you, it actually gives you greater uh, resilience and it gives you kind of like it, it boosts your immunity. As we know, people with intentionality feel stronger because they have an inner sense of fire and drive. Yeah. It's so interesting that the conversation has gone in this direction, um, Dorothy, because it's absolutely what I now believe in a way and I think in many ways it's taken the pandemic for me to really own mm -hmm. this space and mm -hmm. and I'm talking here about the space of um, mm -hmm. the sacred I'm going to use that word um, I remember when I was thinking about starting sacred change makers last year in 2019 I remember running the title through a few friends and colleagues and everybody without fail said yes call it change makers that's great but don't say sacred because like people just won't understand it they'll think that you're being religious <laughs> and it sacred for me is one of those words that we need to kind of reclaim in a way because it doesn't mean to me anything that mean is religious but what it does do is it tethers my business and my intentions to something bigger than me, something to be honored and revered. And what you've just described there was the difference also for me when I suddenly 
And it was a sudden realization that my life is sacred. Therefore, that changed everything. Because if my life is sacred, what am I in service of? What am like in your language, what am I using myself for in this lifetime? What's the purpose of it all? And what's my calling? Because I do believe we all have a, a real deep, soul deep reason why we're here and why we're here at this time. And I'd love to get your sense of this because I know this is, I mean, we've not, I don't think talked about this, but this is something that really attracts me to you, like your depth, your rigor, and also this sense that your work is tethered to something beyond you. I think it's, uh, I, I, first of all, I just, I just, um, I'm smiling because isn't that interesting? An example, my dear Jane, of resonance. Yes. <laughs> I have to laugh. It's, you know, I always say radical resonant. <laughs> radically resonant is just here we are. Um, and then I think of the word that um, probably many use or, or have used, and that is the word of zeitgeist. It's, it's zeitgeist. It's like the, the, the moment of the time. You know, what is absolutely critical like you know um i have not been to istanbul since february but what was really fantastic for me um after all the traffic stopped and all the you know so much of the you know cargo ships stopped um the dolphins started swimming next to the um um the wharf so if you stood at the wharf where the boats were moored in um you know the bosphorus in istanbul you would see dolphins coming up for breaking for air that was yeah. sacred you know these, yeah. these these gorgeous creatures of the water these 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 magical creatures of the water that we know through millennium have saved sailors and and lost you know uh, swimmers uh, you know coming up for air and swimming in waters that are safer and not going to cut them with propellers and or you know when we saw um um animals uh, like you know Leopards and lions, you know, owning the street again. <laughs> Stand up <laughs> cars. Well, that is amazing, actually. Or uh, when we heard that the ozone layer it was it, against all odds, lessened or whatever, it, it, maybe it got thickened, I should say. You know, and, and nobody thought it could without 30 years of, of intentional change, so to speak. Right. So the sacred, I would say, markers of life have kind of been manifesting, you know, like. Um, I've had many uh, friends uh, either uh, who had children late in life or have become grandparents. And I've said to everybody, what a wonderful time to have a baby because you can't go anywhere and you just have to be home with the baby. What could be worse and better? <laughs> You're cocooning. And I was thinking, are, are these going to be Corona babies that they're now going these, these with new vision and new currency of what's important in the same way millennials were where we're a certain kind of character and what's going to be the characteristic of this generation that we're born in this time mm -hmm. um, where life becomes more precious, where nothing can be taken for granted. We took too much for granted, didn't we? Mm -hmm. We took yeah. too much for granted that, you know, um, toilet paper on the shelves was plentiful and that we could get <laughs> endless cans of salmon. Well, I don't think so. We know now. We know better. So what's going to happen now? I'm making fun of the toilet paper, but <laughs> uh, if that's the currency of life, 
I would say that's pretty sad. But isn't it interesting? That's where people's fears go. So the real question is, what is the real currency of life? That really, I, I think the word sacred is, is really profound. That is, that is to be cherished. It's, you know, sacred for me is honored. And, and I'd, I'd like to give an example of it. Recently, we lost this luminary of uh, the Supreme Court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm. And she was really extraordinary. I mean, the things, the accomplishments that she made, the doors that she opened, it's unbelievable. Her life truly was a message. But I love this one phrase that she had that I think is exactly what you're asking. And she said, let your purpose be greater than you are. Mm. Let your purpose be greater than you are. And for her, the purpose was equality access to the table for women, um, for, you know, gays, for, for anyone, uh, for immigrants, equality, even for men who didn't feel that they were having the same opportunity as women, she would fight for that. It was the reverse uh, discrimination that men couldn't always ask for. So I say that uh, to, in response is, what's the purpose that each one of us have and are we honoring it? Because that's really where we honor ourselves. And, and I think, you know, maybe the difference between narcissism is when we honor ourselves for nothing. <laughs> that, you know, but when we honor ourselves that we, we, we took care of our family, we took care of our friends, we took care of this work. You know, my husband, as you know, is a physician. And uh, whenever I say goodbye to him, I say, you know, go heal the world. Yeah, because that's what his mission is. Um, the person who's an accountant, go make sure that, you know, you're, you, you help people stay fiscally solvent or accountable. Whatever it is that you've dedicated yourself, do it with this sense of purpose so that at the end of the day, I was listening to the difference between um, pressure and stress. Pressure is when there is something that you need to do, but when you finish, you feel satisfied. Stress is something that you don't think you can accomplish and that you just have a lot of unresolved hormones. Is that interesting? Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so let your purpose be the pressure that drives you to completion and satisfaction, and you manage the stress by making sure that you take care of yourself, that you are, use your awareness. And it's not, it's not easy. You know, Jane, I just want to say, there's so many days where I look for my keys and I can't find them, or I'm in a rush and I... I put something and you know what, when that happens, I write about awareness, I always say, I try to say this with compassion. I say, okay, Miss Awareness Lady, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's human, right? Yeah, it's totally yeah. human. Exactly. <laughs> it is. Exactly. And, exactly. You know, and you said something profound there about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You said she lived her life as a message. Yes. Right? So here's my question if you're living your life, Dorothy, like what's your message? You know, I honestly think about that. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's the question, um, especially since, you know, I said goodbye to my mother last year and it was such a profound experience for me. Um, and also that I'm known well, I think I'm known for having really been a pioneer of Gestalt uh, coaching. My message is, um, have I inspired 
uh, people to do what they dreamed of. So I, 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 I have I um, been a catalyst uh, for people to do the thing that no one could imagine they could do except themselves. Um, and, and, and actually that's, that's, I love that, you know, those that no one imagined much of do the things that no one can imagine. I think um, almost unexpectedly, even in this call, I say to myself, did I think that I could really inspire people? Or when people say you've really helped me and I go, isn't that amazing? And what a privilege that is to enter people's interior and to be good company. So they go to a destination or a way of being or a new stage in their life. Um, and they give you the, you know, the memory that we, I held their hand and made that difference. And so that's the message that I, uh, I want to, to leave is that I really did support people to touching their dream and then bringing themselves to the reality that their dream allowed to happen. That's lovely. It really is. And I mean, so like life affirming, that's kind of what I feel as you're speaking there. And, you know, I just wonder, like, mm. what's your dream? Well, you know, I think that's so interesting. I think right now, I think especially, uh, as I said, I've just been through this new, uh, I was Facebook, you know, it's, it's such a naughty thing. Facebook gives you, we're going to give you the book of your life, you know. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, come on, really. And I pressed that book. And the reason I, I pressed that book is I wanted to see what my life looked like without my mother as actively part of my life, you know, because this year she was not. And it was interesting to me, there were still pictures of her. So I was grateful about that. And I think in many ways, it's at this moment, you know, maybe I go on to write another book, which would be um, for the a person like I never thought I would write a book. So a second book is just beyond the pale. <laughs> but I do think this top, I, I, I do think what the, the, that is the unexpected thing, you know, they say that it's not hard to write a book, you just go to a computer, sit down and open up your wrists. And that's how it goes. But I do think, I do think it was very powerful, Jane, for me to write this book. Mm. And the writing a book that was needed was a gift that doesn't stop giving back to me. Of course, it makes you vulnerable because it can never be as perfect as you would like it to be. And yet, that so many people around the world now have a copy of this book, I say, isn't that amazing? Although when my mother, I dedicated it to her and my husband, when my mother looked at it the second day after she looked at it, she said, you know, the book, is anyone buying it? <laughs> yeah. And I think actually to write words that people use, like one of the words that I always, on the phrases that I always say is, the small things are big. Hmm. So I do think to make awareness more palpable for how people use that, to make, I also think to make the invisible visible. That's the interesting thing about being a process person. Like you called me and you said, we're not going to have questions written down. And yet the questions came to you because you're a process person. Mm. So you, you look at the process and the process speaks to you. 
Um, and in many ways, that's where you and I also have resonance. So I would like to continue to teach um, those that come to study how to recognize the moment where something is calling and how to recognize the currency of the language to speak to the awareness and the choice of the action that needs to take place. Mm -hmm. Because we're always getting a message. Are we hearing it? Are we seeing it? Are we feeling it? And you know, Jane, I've learned that I can teach that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we share that in common. We do. I, I mean, know. I'm at a point now, and I don't know if I've ever actually articulated this to you, but I'm at a point now in my life and my work where yes. I feel that the things that matter most are invisible. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Really? Well, isn't that interesting, you know, that that's from that little the book, The Little Prince. It's only with the heart that we can see what the mind doesn't see. Right. But I think it's where the, I think it's, it's the currency of, you know, the, the heart math people truly are correct. Yeah. The heart is the long, largest organ and it powers the world, that energy of care mm -hmm. to see the invisible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, I could talk to you all day, Dorothy, but I'm noticing the time. So I'm just going to give you one final question, yeah. which is, you know, if there's something you'd hoped we'd get to talk about today, something, I don't know, some wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners, what might it be? Well, um, one thing I just want to say as we close, how much I appreciate you and your work and your life as an inspiration, Jane. So, oh, thank that, you. I, I, I really, you know, you're one of my heroes and sheroes and thought leaders. And uh, I sometimes think, I don't know how you do it. You have amazing energy and kind of artistry and in language. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, and I think the wisdom, I, I really, what I've learned, I mean, I'm always probably learning, and that is. You know, many years ago, there was a wonderful philosopher by the name of Michael Pogliani. He was quite, I think, in his day, dearly revered and loved. And Michael Pogliani must have been an extraordinary human being because he, he wrote that, he said, you know more than you know that you know. I so love that. I think mm -hmm. that to say to people, you know more than you know that you know or think that you know or have given yourself credit for knowing. And... And I, and I think actually, as we move forward, you know, it's the thing about uh, African wisdom says, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. We need to go together to even, you know, two by two or three by two, or I go by myself and then I meet you. I think we need to go together and share our wisdom and braid it like a new bridge uh, that takes us to the future and, and, and ground ourselves in um, the support that we give to another person so that we can take support from that person to ourselves. We have to be more generous to ourselves and others. And I think that's my biggest wisdom that we are connected and the currency of wealth are other people and our capacity to connect and to share. Beautifully said. Yes. 
Well, thank you, Dorothy. I have really enjoyed our conversation today. And I just know that, you know, our listeners, they're going to have learned so much from you. So thank you so much. Oh, Jane. Jane. <laughs> Jane. <coughs> Jane is just a whole poem. <laughs> so I want to thank you again. I, I, I you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it does sound a little poetic. And yet the truth is that real life is art. So I welcome everyone to their art and I thank you for being so creative, Jane, and for this time. Thank you. Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Now, before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And our growing community of changemakers are actually our sponsors who help us to keep doing our work in the world. We're a network of people committed to making the world a better place. We support each other to grow personally and professionally. And together we're making a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. So if you're interested, I invite you to take a look. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening, for your intention and efforts to make our world a play, better place. Thank you. And until next time, lots of love.